0: Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce?
1: Served up by Variety Attractions celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence.
0: This episode of Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce is brought to you by Brannigan Inc. For nearly two decades, Brannigan Inc. has energized brands in the entertainment industry, helping fairs and festivals connect with audiences. Their creative, results-driven marketing approach drives attendance and makes communications fun. Check them out at BranniganInc.com.
1: Also, this episode is brought to you by Spectrum Weather Insurance. Spectrum Weather Insurance provides a variety of rain, heat, severe weather, and event cancellation insurance customized for your specific event. They have the experience and expertise that hundreds of events rely on each year. Visit them at SpectrumWeatherInsurance.com. 9 30
0: and bam. uh the, the clock changed and it was like ding
1: are you ready yeah nick Hello. walenda how's it going good how are you good. good it's good to see you nick
2: yeah you too how you been man
1: hey i've been doing great i see you're uh rocking the uh the dome
2: which, oh yeah, this dome. Okay. Yeah. I yeah think dome, I think of like the Georgia dome or something like that. I was oh. like, am I walking somewhere that I forgot?
1: <laughs> You're the one that walks on the wire that yeah. the blood rushes out of my head all the way to my feet. Well, and I will say
0: it, because I'm probably not going to get a chance to say this as we go along, but I was wa- watching all your stuff and I'm like sitting at my kitchen table, my palms are sweating and I'm like nervous and I'm just sitting at my kitchen table. You ready? Yep. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce.
1: Served up by Variety Attractions celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. And today on our podcast, I'm getting goosebumps just even talking about his name because I remember... working with this gentleman. Uh, it was probably about six years ago, but uh, let's introduce to our podcast, Mr. Nick Walenda. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for joining us. Nick, I'm actually getting goosebumps when I'm going to start talking about this, because the first time we met was back in 2015. It was funny because back then, you, I just watched you do your walk in Chicago. Mm -hmm. A good friend of ours, Joe Piver, Mm -hmm. um, gave me a call the following day, which all this, you know, timings, everything things happen for a reason, Mm -hmm. all of that. He calls me and starts talking about you, Nick Walenda. But it wasn't to do a walk or something spectacular. He was saying, Hey, you know, Nick Walenda just joined us and he's going to be going out and doing speaking engagements. Mm -hmm. And at the time I worked for a, a state fair and well, I wasn't really digging the speaking engagement thing. I was thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great if Nick would come and do a great walk at our fair? One thing led to another Mm -hmm. at that time in 2015 Nick Walenda was attempting his longest walk ever, which was from turn four to turn one of the Milwaukee mile racetrack in West Dallas, Wisconsin. There's a lot of work that goes into putting on a concert and a fair and all this, but I will have to say the amount of time and what was involved and the discussions we had <laughs> to put on a walk With of your magnitude is it's, it's priceless. I mean, yeah, it's, it's I mean,
2: my, uh, yeah, my no. backstage is a little bigger than most uh, concerts and tours for sure. Yeah. Or to it.
1: Right. And, and the other thing too, is that usually when we put somebody on the stage they might not perish. I mean, yeah, they. Well, that's true. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's like. Most you're likely gonna, not good. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. put on a show and it's gonna be great. I'm I'm having Nick go 125 feet up in the air and walk on this wire, and for the next half hour, there is no blood in <laughs> my see, head. <laughs> see, I mean, I
2: feel like I'm safer up there because they can't throw rotten tomatoes that high. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so that whole experience was priceless, Nick. I will never forget that. Just everything that has to go into putting on your type of event
2: there is there's a lot involved of course uh you know f- before the the wire even gets laid out with you know dealing with the legal side of it and dealing with those logistics and signing releases and waivers which is my life story um mm-hmm. insurance all of that stuff but then the actual wire you know uh, you know for most of these tours as you know better than anyone you'll have uh, you'll have the the show will we'll ask for some advanced notes and that's about it. Well, for us, we have to bring in our engineers uh, and our team well in advance so that we can plan how we're going to rig this, what we're going to rig to, what we're going to anchor to how it's going to lay out, especially for walk of that magnitude being the longest walk of, of, of my career at the time. Um, there is, there is a lot that goes into it logistically. And then of course, you know, that walk was 15, 1600 feet long, 1600 and some feet if, if I recall correctly. And, um, you know, just clearing a path that long, and then the stabilizer ropes and the volunteers to hold those ropes, and there there are a lot of logistics that go into what I do. That's for sure. But it's it's to be honest, my passion. I love I love the challenges of of a getting um, of making the legal team happy. I love that. You know, for Niagara Falls, I had to change two laws, one in the United States and one in Canada, over 100 <laughs> years just to get permission. I love that part as much as the wire walk, if not more. To be honest, uh, and I love the rigging aspect you know, walking over active volcanoes in the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls and Chicago and, you know, in these major cities across major intersections, Times Square, the biggest intersection in the world, rigging a wire over Times Square, nearly impossible. To me, those are the challenges that I love. If it's nearly impossible, then I want to make it happen.
0: What was, what was the law you had to change? So there was a-
2: Anti-stunting, so no stunts allowed in Niagara Falls. Of course, hundreds of years ago, uh, people going over in barrels, people walking downstream on wires. No one ever walked over the precipice of Niagara Falls. I was the, the first and only person in the world to do that, but, um, they just didn't want people to get hurt. So they gotcha. just made a law, no stunts. So it was, it was tricky. I had to have legislation written that was eventually, uh, signed, uh, and put into effect by governor Cuomo about six months before I did that walk. And then, then over to the Canadian side and getting permission from them. Uh, but logistics, it was a logistical nightmare. Most of my walks again, Times square couldn't be more of a, a logistical nightmare than, um, than what we dealt with there. But that. I, I love and, and what people don't realize is, yes, I have staff. Yes, I have. I have people that work on that. Uh, but I'm, Bruce can can be a witness to that. I am there from the moment it starts to the moment it ends. I you know, my 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 kit, drum kit isn't tuned for me and my guitars aren't waiting on the side of the stage. I'm putting the wire up with my team. It is my life. And that's probably the big difference of the you know, of of what I do compared to them. Um, So I have to be hands on every step of the way. And in fact, Times Square, if you watch that TV special on ABC, you see me out there at six in the morning as we rigged all night long, sitting on the sidewalk in tears because I didn't think we were going to have the roads open. It was literally a million dollars an hour if we didn't have it open. Uh, to postpone, it was uh, it was yeah again, but but in the end, I look back and go, wow, you know that walk at, at the Milwaukee State Fair was was amazing, and it's something that I'll always remember for many reasons. In fact, I talk about it in my book Facing Fear because I talk about a little friend of mine named Coulter, who was there at the time uh, yes. who had been struggling with uh, with uh, he had he had leukemia since passed, but um, and and sort of the memories. I try to make there has to be something special about every walk that I do. And um, not only was that the longest walk of my career, but, but uh, to be able to bring Coulter on board where it was, you know, in the final, final months of his life, um, but to bring him there and sort of honor him and and that sort of thing. I'll never forget him sitting there signing autographs alongside of me after, Mm -hmm. after that walk. And I know Nick, your mantra is
1: never give up, but I think the words that stick with me to this day is when I looked at you right in your eyes before the walk. And I said, you know, I was looking for you to give me something of comfort or, you know, that everything is going to be all right. And Nick looks at me and says, don't worry, Bruce, I know how to fall. And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, you know, that wasn't exactly what I was looking for because that doesn't make me feel any better.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's always my goal, just to keep you even closer to the edge of your seat when I get on that wire.
1: Why don't you kind of give us some stories or insight when I mention
2: George Moffat and
1: Variety Attractions?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll hit on family history real quick, and then we'll go into George Moffat and Variety Attractions. So family started performing back in the 1780s, well over 200 years, seven generation member myself. My kids are eight and um, been doing it a long time. Came over to the United States in 1928 from Germany to headline on Ringling Brothers Circus And family, of course, has been performing ever since then. There are actually uh, 14 of us that still perform to this day. Uh, I have been blessed with with the... Oh man, I don't know even how to describe it, but the, the gene maybe to continue to push myself further and higher and longer. So many people just recognize the Nick part of that, but there are still many of us that, that perform again uh, on wires and perform shows in amusement parks and fairs and circuses all over the world. Um, but, uh, George Moffat variety attractions. I grew up. In fact, I remember telling you this Bruce, when I was, uh, there at mm-hmm. in Milwaukee, but, um, I grew up in the back of fairgrounds. I grew up performing at fairs across the country. And of course, a Variety Tractions, one of the premier agencies that books talent as my family uh, perform. Um, we perform with them many, many times. I, mean, I, have, I have memories of, of the, the fair in York, Pennsylvania and, and opening for, in fact, I remember we opened, my family opened on the wire and then Garth Brooks opened for Reba McIntyre while we were there. I remember new kids on the block was there. We would open every night before. So just the memories that we made uh, over the years and a lot of it, thanks to George for, for booking my family in those places. I still to this day, you know, I have these big huge glorified TV specials with, you know, 10, 23 million people watch live over, over the grand Canyon, but I love performing affairs. I just, there's it just, cause it's my childhood. I love the smells of it. I love the sounds of it. Uh, in fact, the Florida state fair, uh, I will be hanging out at just because I love the fair, which mm-hmm. I live in Florida <laughs> and it's, it's going on shortly here. So, but, um, again, I, I just love that world and, and have so many different memories just touring around the country, performing, uh, for variety attractions at, at these different venues. And, and York is just one that really sticks out. I just, I just remember it vividly. Cause I remember Garth Brooks coming up to our RV door and, and we talk, talking to him, not really, he really wasn't a big name at that point. And, uh, and, you know, look at him, look at me now. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah. look at me now. I mean, it's it's yeah. pretty awesome to see where our careers have gone and who would have known that he knocked on that Airstream door backstage. <laughs> you know, when we say new kids on the block, what do you think about when we say that? Yeah, I mean, again, York, York, PA, I just, I just, I remember... I remember there, uh, I, here's another story I remember from York PA, not to get off new kids on the block, but it's just one that resonates with me. Oh, you're good. Definitely. I remember, uh, Alabama was what we were opening one night. It was Alabama. So the, the wire was set up just to the, to the, if you're looking at the stage, it was stage right. It was, it was the left side. So, uh, we would perform and then the, you know, whatever the opener and then the, the concert and I'll never forget the, um it was a radio DJ at the time was on stage and he said, who's ready to see Alabama. And the audience went crazy. He's like, come on scream. Who's ready to see Alabama? And audience went crazy. He goes, all right, well, please welcome the Walendas. They're coming on soon. And that was our introduction. So everybody's like, Oh, you know, like what a horrible introduction, but uh, yeah, exactly. What a letdown. But uh, Hey, that's, that's the world that we live in. Yeah.
0: So when you said your kids are eighth generation, so your kids walk,
2: So my kids all walk the wire very well. However, they're not kids anymore. I've got a 23 year old that's a Marine and I have a 19 year old that's about to turn 20 that is in the U S army. He's currently serving our country over in Belgium. And I have a, an 18 year old daughter that's about to go off to nursing school. So they all walk the wire. They all walk the wire. Well, however, as, um, as we grew up, my, my wife comes from eight generations of circus on one side, seven on the other, um, we grew up performing since we were children. I, I started walking a wire at 18 months old, started performing at two years old in front of an audience, not on the wire, but as a clown. Um, so we we sort of got that itch or that bug of, of a live audience of entertainment very early on. With our children, we sort of made it a, a, a set of precedent and, and did not allow them to perform in front of an audience during their youth, during their minor years, their younger years. The reason being was my parents didn't, want me to carry on the industry, but I had no choice because it was, it was in me. It was who I was. My Mm -hmm. first book balance. I talk a lot about that story of the struggles of my great grandfather in his first book or his book that he wrote in the seventies. Uh, he says in the circus world, one day you eat the chicken and the next day you eat the feathers. And that really pertains to all entertainment, right? You're waiting for the phone to ring. We would wait for variety of actions to call because we're sitting in Florida waiting for the phone to ring. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and meanwhile, there's no income. Uh, my mom wrote a book called the last of the Walendas in the eighties. Cause she didn't feel like there was really a future in the industry. And, uh, I remember, um, going through my teenage years and my parents saying, you know, we don't want you to carry this on. We don't want you to carry this on. There's not a future and it. it had nothing to do with safety. Again, it's, you know, it's what we do. It's our lives. We realize there's risk, but it's also calculated. And as Bruce mentioned, I know how to fall, which, which means I know how to catch that wire and hold on. In fact, we had a bad accident. I talk a lot about in my latest book facing fear in 2018 where I caught the wire and held on because of that, we kept my children out of the spotlight so that they would make that decision as they became adults. Do you want to carry it on or not? They had, a, I say, a normal life. They grew up in the back of fairgrounds and they grew up traveling around the world too. But, um, but we tried to keep their education, which my education was was key to my parents as well. So don't, don't get me wrong. I had to graduate from high school. I was accepted at a university. I was about to go. And that's when we went and, and created, recreated the seven person pyramid for the first time since it fell. And, and a long story short, I realized that there was a future. We just had to change the way we were doing things. Uh, but that's a long way to say, No, my kids don't perform. Yes, they can walk the wire. I do have a nephew that's eight generations that is nine years old now, and he is very good on the wire. He practices every day on his own, never told to practice, and uh, I'm pretty sure that that he's got that bug and and is going to want to carry it on. Cool. So, Nick, when you're up on the
1: wire, what is probably the most interesting thing while on the wire you encountered that was like a huge distraction. And I know (laughs) you kind of told me about these things that kind of opened my eyes about it because everybody else is just thinking, oh my gosh, he's walking on this wire, but you encounter things up there like a swarm of bees or or
2: (laughs) something like that. Yeah. So, you know, being that I've done it my whole life, I've literally walked thousands of miles over cities, the, all major cities across the country. So I think of a lot of things when I think of distractions. I have been stung by a bee while I was on the wire. I have had birds land on my balancing pole. I have been flashed while I've been on the wire. I have, um, I have also, I was walking between two, uh, two skyscrapers in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, over the Allegheny River, And as I was walking, the Fort Duquesne bridge was down to my right. I was about 230 feet up and my children were younger at the time and my boys were sharing their Nintendo DS. And as I was walking, I remember looking over and them fighting, like (laughs) arguing with each other as young, you know, they're probably seven and nine or seven and 10. And um, I remember thinking, man, I need to discipline them when I get down. So, you know, life, life still goes on whether you're on the wire or not. I, I then immediately went, you're about 250 feet up without a safety device. You need to focus on what you're doing. Um, But that's one of the challenges of doing what I've done for so long is complacency can set in, Uh, you know, you've, this walking a wire is in, in a normal setting. And I don't say this arrogantly at all. Walking the wire is no different than walking on the ground to me. It is second nature. It is what that's why I, I do things like walk over the Grand Canyon with forty-three mile an hour winds, or I walk over an active volcano with a gas mask on and goggles because the gases are so thick and the, the heat's so strong, etc. Because it's all about challenging myself as much as anything else. But um, it can become dangerous because you can become so complacent that it is just okay. Here's another day, and there's times where I'm walking between cities, and my mind goes, or between skyscrapers in a city, and my mind goes, what What are you? what are you doing? This is what you do for a living. So there are times where I kind of step out of my family history and my legacy. And and what my great-grandfather said was life. You said, life is on the wire. Everything else is just waiting. I kind of step out of that sometimes. And I'm like, what the heck are you doing?
0: (laughs) You talked about the volcano walk. I was watching, um, kind of some behind the scenes footage on that. And I think your uncle is your engineer, correct?
2: That's right. Yes. And
0: he was showing the wire because the gas that was coming up from the volcano was kind of like eating away those wires. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Cause I mean, that's a whole nother
2: level of distraction. Like, Oh, the gas is
0: eating my wire. (laughs)
2: Yeah. 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 So very much so. So there were many challenges, uh, that I faced while I was walking or leading up to that volcano walk. We of course do stuff studies months and months, sometimes years in advance in these locations. So for instance, Grand Canyon, we we knew that um, traditionally or from our studies years uh, for years in that area that, that winds wouldn't exceed 55 miles per hour. So I trained with 90 mile an hour winds for that walk so that I knew that I wouldn't have any issue making it across. For this volcano, we had taken a cable, the exact cable that we used to stabilize the wire uh, for a walk like this, and we, we literally tied a 100 pound boulder to it. And we dropped it down into the, the, the volcano above the, the, the volcano was uh, 1,600, the lava was 1,600 feet below me. No, 1,800 feet below me. So we dropped it down probably 500 feet along into that caldera, way down in there, so that we knew um, that the gases would be getting to that cable. And we let it hang there for three months and then we pulled it out. And the idea was, let's see how these gases are going to affect this wire so that we're prepared. If, if we can't use wire, is there some sort of a fiber rope we can use? Is there, you know, what do we need to do to make sure that they're not going to snap? So we did all of this testing; everything came back positive. So we rigged the wire. I, I say we for the for my big TV specials. I'm so focused on, to be honest, I'm distracted by media and doing interviews and podcasts and all of that stuff that I'm not there. Well, thank me. you, Nick.
1: Yeah, <laughs> thank so, you for that
2: plug. <laughs> so, so uh, it's one of the biggest challenges, and I'm going to sidetrack. <laughs> one of the biggest challenges to me doing these walks is I talk a lot in this book, Facing Fear, about internal dialogue, and I will do three to 500 interviews, not exaggerating, leading up to these TV specials. It is insane. A lot of my TV specials are worldwide. So I'll, there are times where I'll be on a call for four and a half hours and it is literally 30 countries on the same call with all with translators. And they all mm. have a chance to ask a question and they have a rotation and we just cool. knock them all at it once. Uh, but one of the most popular questions is, aren't you scared you're going to die? Uh, it's all negative. Is the wire going to snap? Or are you going to fall? All that. So what that is doing is it's tearing down all my psyche the entire time. So leading up to these walks, when you're supposed to be really be able to build, build that up to go, you know, I'm, I'm mentally preparing for that. I know I can make it. I've trained and I'm consistently dealing with that internal dialogue. And now I'm feeding that negative, 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 negative. And it makes it really, really tough doing all the interviews right before these walks. Sorry, I had to sidetrack for a minute. Uh, as far as the, 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 the wire went in, in Nicaragua. So we, we rigged the wire about tw- uh, nine days before the walk. My father, is my head rigger, oversees all of the rigging. My uncle, which is my father's older brother, long history in the military. Uh, in fact, he had an office at uh, the Pentagon for a while, just very high up um, in engineering with the military for many years, retired and since worked, worked with me full-time. And um, they are both there overseeing the entire rigging process. So the wire itself goes up and then we add the stabilizers in a setting like this. So the wire went up and, uh, in order to add the stabilizers, they take this trolley and they ride out to the middle of that wire. And once they get to the middle, they add a stabilizer and then they kind of roll backwards and, and get them all hung. Well, um, my dad went out the first night the wire was hung, uh, cause he wanted to see what I was going to experience. And he got out to the middle and a long story short, there was a substance on the wire that was almost, it was, it felt like grease. It wasn't greased. The wire was non greased. It was made specifically for me for this walk, etc, as they all are. And, uh, and I remember he called me and he said, Nick, we got a big problem. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the wire has some sort of substance on it that the, the volcano is emitting some sort of substance that basically feels like we're greasing your wire. I don't know how you're going to walk this thing. I was like, well, dad, thanks for the encouragement. I appreciate I'll <laughs> sleep well tonight. Atta boy. <laughs> and uh, in the morning, we'll figure it out. Well, obviously, I didn't sleep that night. I woke up in the morning and I bought a, a, a big, I had my wife go to the store and buy a big jar of Vaseline. And I went to the wire in my backyard. And I marked out 30 feet, put electrical tape on each side. And I literally took Vaseline and greased that wire as greasy as you can imagine. Just, I mean, thick. Mm-hmm. And I And I got on that wire and I walked it. Because at that point, the world knows I'm going to do this walk. It's been advertised internationally, nationally. I've done tons of interviews. There's really not much turning back. I practice on it. And I was like, okay, I can walk on a really, I've done it before. I did it uh, in uh, Baltimore. I was doing a walk over the inner Harbor for Ripley's, believe it or not. And, and they shipped the, the cable, got lost in shipping. So I bought one locally at a shipyard. Uh, It was brand new, but for that was used for shipyard, but it was greased. So I walked on a greasy cable. So I was like, okay, I know I can walk on this, but I didn't know how bad it would be in in this setting or this greased. I knew I could walk. It was horribly uncomfortable. It was, it was very uneasy, 10 feet off the ground. Can't imagine what it was going to be like 1800 feet, but at least I know there's a way for me to do it. I won't slip right off. My shoes are, 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 are made where they kind of grip. So, um, so that happened. And then uh, so the next day I practiced. The next day I practiced again. I was like, okay, I'm feeling better. My psyche is being built back up. I can walk on this greasy cable. And um everything's going well and, and and uh did a bunch more more media, a bunch more training, flew over to Nicaragua, which is where the volcano was. I get there, um, and I arrive at the hotel. I sit down in the living room at the hotel and I call my dad and my dad comes up and I hadn't seen him for a week because he'd been there rigging. I said, how's it going? He goes, great. He goes, you know, the good news is that the wire has formed, um, rust. It's become rusty, the main walking cable. And what that has done is that slippery substance. It doesn't matter anymore because now like sandpaper, that rust Mm. is so thick that actually you don't have to worry about that. I'm like, okay, so now I'm even feeling better. I feel great about this. Everything's good. And man, you can't make this stuff up. This is two days before the walk. We're sitting there. My wife didn't even make it from the airport. I landed at the airport and they had a police escort. And it, it was a little wild over there. Went up, you know, I didn't even get off the plane. They, they took me down on the tarmac. So my wife arrives, she's coming. And uh, it was about 30 minutes of me and my dad sitting there and my dad's phone just plings, he gets a text. And, uh, and he looks down at it and he starts to turn white. And I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, nothing. Now, mind you, <laughs> when he, when he told me about the grease, I, I laid into him. I'm like, dad, you, your job is to, I need you to be there for me. You figure out the grease. Don't mess with my mind, figure out how to make it safe. And then call me and say, we had this issue, but I fixed it already. And and the reality is he was looking out for me to say it, but it was really, really stressful. It was really hard on me. He, if he waited th- four or five days, he wouldn't have had to worry about it. He would have been like, oh, it's rusty. I don't even have to tell Nick about it until after he's done and mm-hmm. everything's fine. <laughs> dad what is going on he said he goes um well uh we we got a problem i'm like okay what's the problem well three of your stabilizer wires have snapped Mm. and i'm like what do you mean three of my stable he goes yeah they've snapped i said dad we've we tested them for three months there that doesn't make sense they've snapped he goes i'm just telling you they've snapped So normally I won't go to the, the walk site. I, I, I go there a lot leading up to it, months and months leading up to it. I, for visualization, plus all the planning for the rigging. I mean, I went down into the caldera. I was down by the lava. It was an amazing, one of the most amazing experiences in my life. An active volcano is literally indescribable. You cannot put words to it to see lava that close. Mm. And, um, so, very, very hands on. But then leading up to it, I won't go to that site until the event itself, because again, it's all about the psyche and I can psych myself out. And the reason why is the Grand Canyon. I was, it was about a week before that walk, Mythbusters. I was filming an episode for Mythbusters and we went out there and there was about, uh, I think there were 75 mile an hour winds. And now I trained in 90, but it don't matter. I don't care. 75 mile an hour winds and you're looking 1,500 feet down into rocks is scary. So it's, it messed with my mind so bad that I was like, I'll never go to the site within a week. I'm not going to go out there if I don't have to. I will wait. I'll show up. I'll get on the wire because I get in a zone about, about 24 hours before where it's like sort of walking through a war zone. I will not turn back. The only person that can stop me is my father. Otherwise, I'm getting on that wire walking no matter what, no matter if it's hail, if it's windstorm, if it's I'm walking across from point A to point B. So once I get in that zone, I'm in that zone, fine. I'll show up, I'll film for about an hour. It's two hours special, usually film for an hour and I'll get ready and get on the wire. I had to get in the car. We went to the volcano to figure out how are we gonna fix these stabilizer wires? We figured it out, and and the reason why it was happening, and it's sort of a rigging uh, thing. But uh, what we didn't do when we put it down in the volcano is um, there's a in a cable you splice a cable, and there's a, a thimble and an eye in it. And and what happened was we didn't add a thimble. Which a thimble, what it does is it takes that cable when it's under a load and it kind of opens it up and holds it in this shape. Rather than a cable will cave in, that loop will cave in if it has a lot of load on it. Well, that loop had. Caved in because we didn't put thimbles on because we it's disposable we throw the stuff out so we don't make them for long term applications like where you would add a thimble. Well, what had happened is when it caved in, it opened up the the weave of the cable itself, mm. and the acid was able to get in the middle and caused them to snap. Mm. We were able to fix it, uh, and then another hurdle came in, which we could talk about or we don't have to. Mm-hmm. Right, right before I didn't sleep the entire night before the walk, and and uh, was on site the entire day until about an hour before. Uh, we were going about two hours before I was going live. I went back to the hotel, took a shower and came back and, and walked across and all is well that ends well.
0: Bruce and I want to thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce.
1: If you'd like to drop us a line, you can email us at whichwayiscatering at gmail.com or visit us at varietyattractions.com.
0: A big thank you to our sponsors, Brannigan Inc. and Spectrum Weather Insurance.
1: Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce?
0: Served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence.
1: That's fabulous.